Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Something wonderful is coming on September 28th. From the producers of the world's largest social advertising event, Sofa Summit, Smartly.io invites you to the Social Advertising Wonderland, a place to tap into your creativity. Wonderland is a fully live event, streamed from both Helsinki and New York, straight to your office or living room. Enjoy sessions from the largest social media platforms, keynote speakers like Seth Godin, and a special performance by our host, drag all-star Ginger Minj. Visit smartly.io slash adweek to register. That's smartly.io slash adweek to register for free. Hey, this is David. Before we get started on this week's episode, uh, which is is a great one, we got a, a lot going on this week, uh, wanted to tell you two things. One is just a content note about this week's episode. Uh, we do, in the second half of the show, spend some time talking about suicide prevention. Uh, so if that's a topic, uh, while it's handled, I think, uh, very thoughtfully, and um, you, you know, it's, it's something that's not specifically negative, but if that's a topic that uh, you'd rather not uh, hear about, uh, I would maybe suggest you skip the second half of the show, but the first part, you'll be fine. It's nothing but positivity. And uh, then I wanted to tell you about the Podcast of the Year Awards that Adweek runs. If you're into podcasting, which you're listening to a podcast about ads, so you're probably into podcasts. Uh, but if you or your agency or your clients or your business runs a podcast, you might want to check out the Adweek Podcast of the Year Awards. Uh, this is the third year that we've done these, and it is bigger than ever. We've added seven new categories, including Best True Crime Podcast, podcast and I can tell you from behind the scenes we've already been flooded with uh, with great nominations for that one uh, but there's still plenty of room uh, so very excited to judge those there's so many uh, categories you can enter and there is a uh, best diversity and inclusion podcast that one's free to enter so you really uh, if you if you know of any great uh, podcasts that are themed around diversity and inclusion please suggest that they enter because it's totally free and uh, we've got so much more and then we pick from the winners a podcast of the year grand prize winner uh, which is always a huge honor and then we feature them uh, pretty heavily in adweek so check it out it is podcastoftheyearawards.com that's podcastoftheyearawards.com or just google adweek podcast of the year awards all right let's get on to this week's episode You're listening to, yeah, that's probably an ad to see Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, and ice cream, because in the end, everything is an ad. With me, as always, is Shannon Miller, Adweek's creative and inclusion editor. Shannon, we've got a, we've got a, a, a we've got kind of got like a, a full emotional, uh, like, I don't know, comprehensive meal of a podcast here um, with some real, <laughs> some real range. We're going to be talking about marketing-based ice creams. 
one one in particular. Uh, we're going to be talking about a really phenomenal uh, nonprofit that is on the uh, cover of Adweek this week. But before we get to that, and our beloved colleague uh, Robert Clara, who we're bringing back, who was on our last episode, but got him back again because he wrote our cover story. Before that, Shannon, we're doing one of our rare uh, live food reviews. What are we eating on the podcast today? I really wish that the um, at home audience can like watch me like vibrate with excitement. So today, if if you are familiar with one of Geico's best campaigns, um, Scoop, there it is. Uh, it was a... D- oh, featuring the 90s hip-hop te- uh, band tag team. Uh, <laughs> beloved, feature- beloved 90s favorite tag team. Pop, pop culture paragons tag team in their... DC the Brain Supreme and Steve <laughs> Rowland. Come on. An enduring hit. Well, whoop, whoop, my, my apologies. Whoop with an M. There it is. Um, we... They're actually bringing that campaign, came back or refreshing that campaign. And to celebrate that, <laughs> Geico released um, a limited edition ice cream called Scoop. There it is. And it is a flavor that features all of the lovely ingredients that the that were mentioned in the commercials, um, customized lyrics, uh, which... <laughs> Griner, can, can please please refresh us on the lyrics on this one. Yes, let's uh, let's revisit Geico's uh, scoop. There it is, which I believe debuted like right at the end of last year, like mm-hmm. like New Year's Eve level or Christmas Day or something. It was like right at the end of last year, and then really blew up going into January. Uh, we've had entire articles about this uh, about this spot. It is truly the most beloved Geico spot since Hump Day, and I would say is way better than Hump yeah. Day, but. Um, it is. It is one of the best Geico spots ever, and tag team truly are uh, just phenomenal guys. Uh, I, I got the the real pleasure of getting to sit down with them a while back and chat with both, and uh, they're they're great. And so it's been so wonderful to see this. Let's revisit Lane. Fire us up the clip of scoop. There it is, so we can remember the toppings that are going into this ice cream. Uh, French vanilla, rocky road, chocolate peanut butter cookie dough, scoop. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. Shannon, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot to put in an ice cream. That's a lot, and we are aging. Yeah, how's your lactose tolerance? Because mine is low. <laughs> oh, it's, like, it's funny when you just hear the lyrics on on your own as you're like twiddling away or like knitting on your bed but distilling that into one singular ice cream and not a series of ice creams that should rightfully support so many ingredients um yeah it's it's a little scary i'm very excited though um to have my one scoop of this (laughs) (laughs) that's self-control uh so as you as you probably noticed uh from the lyrics of the ad we've we've got rocky road chocolate peanut butter cookie dough and sprinkles. Uh, this was, uh, it, they're doing a very limited run. Uh, Shannon and I are blessed to have two of only, I believe, 350 pints that were made total. So you're you're listening to some exclusive taste testing here. Uh, 
Yeah, wow. it's a very small number, um, and only only twenty five, I believe, were produced for folks like us, <laughs> key influencers. Obviously, <laughs> big deals. Uh, big deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, how many people host podcasts about advertising and do dumb stuff like eat ice cream on it? <laughs> so, um, the uh, we will will do the taste test, then we'll tell you a little bit more. There's a, I, I really love this uh, this extension of a of a beloved campaign. I love that they partnered uh, with a black owned New York City uh, creamery called Mikey Like it uh, instead of just going with, ah, you know, we partnered with Edie's or Briars or Ben and Jerry's or whatever, which is what I think most folks would have done. Um, and so they they deserve some credit for, uh, you know, making it something special. So with that, all right, it's it's, it's audio time. Let's uh, let's try our first bite of the stuff. We have not sampled it until right this moment. Oh. Um, fun fact for everyone at home, both David and I live in the very hot South um <laughs> which which um just a a warning for anyone planning to send um any ice cream to to Florida or Alabama. <laughs> we we are vulnerable. So please pack that baby with lots of ice. Okay. It's it's from a texture perspective, I haven't eaten it yet, but I will just say just from a spoon, it is chunky, yeah. which is what I expected. Yeah. I got nothing but peanut butter in that bite. Mm. I got mostly Rocky Road. Did you? Yeah. I mean, it's just it just tasted mostly like Rocky Road. We were saying before we started recording, I'm a huge nut for peanut butter ice creams. Yeah. Um, Mikey likes it, who, another fun fact, was recently featured on Humans of New York. Um, he got to tell his story about um, opening the ice cream. Very sweet guy. Um, and it was nice to see the online community rally around him um, and sort of encourage each other to support his locations um, in New York. And I can tell you now that I can sort of um, personally see his vision when it comes to ice cream, this is a guy that knows what he's doing. Um, like... <laughs> He, he did not skimp on the toppings here. Like, it, to Griner's point, it's definitely not like an essence of peanut butter um, or like a suggestion of peanut butter. I dug hard into this bite and got only peanut butter <laughs> the first bite. Um, I have. I have been chewing the entire time. It's <laughs> been talking because it is. <laughs> It is a hearty, a hearty ice cream. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Um, and this is my first time dealing with marshmallows and ice cream. Um, I'll pass, but I'm glad I experienced it. Um, really, really great on um, the peanut butter ratio here. I'm, I'm at least very excited about that. It's definitely, I don't know what the opposite of a ribbon of a ribbon is, but it's that like a, like a gorge. <laughs> um, so let me tell you, if you want your own pint of uh, one of these very limited 325 pints of, um, of scoop, there it is ice cream. Uh, you have to uh, do the following steps. I'm just going to read off uh, what they sent us here. Follow Geico on TikTok or Instagram. Upload a dance using the Scoop There It Is track. 
and then mention at Geico and hashtag Geico ice cream in the caption. So like all great TikTok trends, I look forward to seeing this hashtag under completely unrelated videos about like extremely freaky kinks or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> People I, just put all, it's always like the goldfish dance or something. On, <laughs> yeah. Let's load it on every single with super triggering stories, guys. That's, that's always a joy on my for you page. Wondering why <laughs> um, a UPS uh, me hint that, Man, the tag is full of just very, very triggering stories. Let's just keep this so, to the dances that we need. <laughs> yes. So please try try to restrict yourself <laughs> to using the hashtag on just doing a dance. Um, I, obviously, the, the kid in play dance is encouraged, if not required. <laughs> <laughs> they do a fantastic rendition of it in the, in the ad. Uh, you can check out my article uh, that uh, just went live. If you're listening to this on Monday, uh, when the podcast comes out, I've got an article on adweek.com about the ice cream, how they made it, the process behind it, when they started brainstorming all this. Uh, so you can check that out. Uh, we, unfortunately, have to set aside our ice cream now that we have hit our geriatric daily, uh, you know, limit of dairy intake. Um, and we've got uh, much more to move on to. Uh, so, Shannon, what's your, I don't know, what's your final review here of Scoop There It Is Ice Cream? The first, as, as far as I can remember, the first ad inspired... <laughs> inspired ice cream <laughs> i mean like talk about the power of advertising yeah like i'm i'm excited to see this because some of the the ghastly iterations of ice cream stump marketing that we've seen just this year um really made me question this whole um food as marketing stunts thing um looking at you craft mac and cheese ice cream <laughs> What? You're saying the mustard ice cream from <laughs> French's or whatever didn't, didn't put you over the top? Unless you unless any brand wants to um pay for my therapy. Uh <laughs> I am not the person to send um knowingly gross ice creams. This this is nice and useful. Yeah. Um and yeah, very enjoyable. Um I would say, yeah, if you if you are gracefully aging. Um, like, cause this might be a lot. <laughs> this might be a lot yeah. for you, but uh, a lot going on. Lots here. going on, but it's, it's it's fun. It's definitely fun. Uh, yeah, no, it's tasty. I mean, uh, I, I would say, you know, if you win one, great. You'll probably enjoy it. Uh, if not, I don't think you should stay up late at night dreaming of the Geico-inspired ice cream that you did not get to eat. Um, that said, I do love this. I love this idea. I, for one, I love this ad. Um, I w- I was on a uh, panel. I think it might have been part of uh, of uh, the one show this year, uh, the big awards program. We had a panel with some of the jury presidents and the jurors and stuff. And uh, Danny Robinson, the CCO of the you know, creative chief of Martin Agency, which makes Geico's ads, was on there. And, of course, everyone was talking about, uh, you know, Moldy Whopper and whatever other stuff like won all the usual awards. <laughs> but one of the creative chiefs who was on there said – that that scoop there it is ad got us all through the last few months of quarantine. It was just so joyful. <laughs> like, it was the only ray of sunlight in a dark, dark world. <laughs> uh, and again, I cannot say enough about DC the Brain Supreme, DC Glenn, uh, who is one of the two members. Such a joy to follow on social. Such a such a great guy. Steve Rowland, uh, who was his partner and tag team, is also just just great. You can go back and read my earlier article uh, where we interviewed them. Uh, really, really good people. Really appreciative 
Uh, we may have talked about this on an earlier podcast, but they're just really appreciative of the fact that Geico didn't just feature their song. Their song's been featured by everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, it's been in everything. Uh, but to, they said this was the first time in however many decades, 30, that that they, uh, 30, well, 30 years, sorry. They, this is the first time that they've ever been invited on screen. Wow. You know, all this time. And like no one ever cared to see Tag Team. They just wanted to play their song. And um, it meant a lot to them. Mm-hmm. You know, they just loved it. Not because they were like starving for the money, but just because it felt good. They were like, oh, that song. Like we get checks from the song nonstop. Like it's always in something. Yeah. Uh, but to actually be on camera, just it was a sign of respect and appreciation that you just don't see very often. Or if you do, it's like making fun of them. No one's making fun of Tag Team in that ad. They're, mm-hmm. They make that ad. They they absolutely drive it. And I think it means a lot to, or not, I think I know it means a lot to um, a lot of us Black com- consumers as well, because we like to have these opportunities to offer flowers to um, acts that really like bolstered our um, adolescence and, and we don't get to see very often. So having them materialize and actually have some autonomy in an ad like this, and then to, to refresh that campaign and bring in, um, black business owners. I, I think that that is such a hearty approach to inclusion and way more, um, impactful, than just sort of like having the like weird disembodied um, model kind of show up in front of camera and not really um, carrying that out beyond that moment. I I just think that this is an overall win, um, not just in terms of product, but in terms of an execution of an enduring campaign. Yeah, I think we talked about this on an earlier podcast, but... (laughs) What I love about this campaign uh, and, and a few others that came out, of, you know, last year specifically, is that it's a great reminder for the ad industry that retro uh, nostalgia does not have to mean white suburban nostalgia, mm-hmm. right? Like it's I I like Ferris Bueller. A lot of folks like Ferris Bueller. We've had enough <laughs> Ferris Bueller. There have been so damn many ferris bueller ads and references and reboots and i'm like we get it we get it you grew up in the suburbs and you're white like we we know <laughs> and tangent that movie does not age well ferris bueller was a, was a brat i don't think it's a fun movie turd of a friend <laughs> absolute turd of a friend so yeah it's it's cool to see this um sort of get its wings again especially like not so long after things like Vax that thing up where we're just sort of getting this opportunity to appreciate um, memories, like you said, that aren't necessarily prescribed to whiteness. Um, Like these were like huge pop culture paragons, not just within like a singular community, but I I don't know about anybody else, but there was a time where you could not turn on the radio um, and not hear, um, there it is, at least five times from your home to the grocery store 30 minutes away. Um, and so like to have that that chance to relive that in a very cool way and, and like you said, a way that wasn't mocking but appreciative is um, really stellar. And I hope that we see more of that. All right, well, I'm going to be checking that hashtag. I want to see all y'all's dances <laughs> <laughs> and or or disturbing confessions or whatever that you use the hashtag on i'll be there i'll be hovering over you. original dances please do not crib them from other black creators like a lot of y'all like to do 
<laughs> just original dances really earn this <laughs> peanut butter heavy ice cream. <laughs> or just kick boots. <laughs> Those are your two options. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, this has been wonderful. We we rarely, yeah, I don't know if you got some weird marketing related foods you either want us to try or you want to send us, uh, reach out at podcast at adweek.com, podcast at adweek.com. Mm-hmm. We love to get all the weird stuff that folks send us. Um, and uh, yeah, happy to feature them on here if it makes for quality content like slurping down <laughs> peanut butter ice cream does. Uh, we are going to move on uh, to bring back our, uh, as I mentioned, our beloved colleague, uh, Robert Clara, uh, who is a senior editor here at Adweek. He's going to be telling us about this week's cover story uh, around our, the basically, the uh, each year we have a big award for a great nonprofit, and he's going to be telling us about who that is this year. So stick around. We'll be right back. Something Wonderful is coming on September 28th. From the producers of the world's largest social advertising event, Sofa Summit, Smartly.io invites you to the Social Advertising Wonderland, a place to tap into your creativity. Wonderland is a fully live event, streamed from both Helsinki and New York, straight to your office or living room. Enjoy sessions from the largest social media platforms, keynote speakers like Seth Godin, and a special performance by our host, drag all-star Ginger Minj. Visit smartly.io slash adweek to register. That's smartly.io slash adweek to register for free. All right, we're back. And as promised, we've got Robert Clara as recently featured on, I think, last week's or the last episode. I think we did, we took one week off for the holiday. Uh, so, Robert, thank you so much for coming back to talk Brand Genius, Brand Week, our, our uh, biggest event of the year. And uh, and really excitingly, our cover story uh, this week about uh, what we call the Brand Save winner, which is our kind of nonprofit of the year that we feature as part of our uh, Brand Genius franchise. And, uh, I, well, for one, uh, Robert, thanks for coming back. It's always a pleasure. Oh, thanks for having me back. And hi, Shannon. Hi, I'm so happy to see you again. Yeah, it's, this all feels very familiar to me. <laughs> I, listening, listening back to the last episode, uh, I think it was a super fun episode for anyone who missed it. You should, because it was uh, we were just delving into the history of celebrities and ads, and Robert dropped some tremendous gems. Uh, but the part that made me happiest was just Shannon's sheer excitement at the beginning of the episode of <laughs> having Robert on, and it just made me so happy when I went back and listened to it. Robert, uh, she, Robert, Robert. <laughs> Shannon, you got to get captured. Netflix or something if you're excited about me. <laughs> this is. I mean, we host a podcast about ads. We're obviously easily entertained. <laughs> um, so uh, Robert is back, like I said, to talk about Brand, brand Week and Brand Genius. First of all, though, uh, let's talk about your cover story. Who is this year's Brand Save honoree? Well, this year, uh, we, and by we, I mean our panel of judges. I don't get to pull too many strings around here. Uh, we are saluting the work of the Trevor Project which uh, is a group that I was familiar with, but it's one that um, many of our readers, many people in general may not know. Uh, But it is essentially a a nonprofit uh, whose mission is to end suicide uh, among LGBTQ plus young people. And they have been dedicated to that mission uh, since their founding in um, the late 90s. And uh, I, even though I thought as a member of the LGBTQ plus community myself uh, that I knew a few things about Trevor, but having reported this story, I was quite startled to find just how much of a problem uh, this is that they're addressing. So uh, they're doing incredibly worthy work. But the other reason, the other component of this, uh, and we should remember that Adweek is a business magazine after all, is um, Trevor is supported 
I think about a third of its funding comes from brands. And uh, so brands have been, uh, if you notice some of the activations in, for Pride this past June, a lot of brands have been uh, deciding to partner up with Trevor to give money to Trevor. Uh, if um, uh, you remember our uh, good friend from the uh, NFL, <clears throat> Carl Nassib, who came out around that time, first thing he did was give $100,000 to the Trevor Project. So this seems to be Trevor's moment. Uh, but it's not just good for Trevor. I think it's also very beneficial for the brands that partner with Trevor because, uh, as we know, younger consumers really do hold brands' feet to the fire in terms of what they stand for. And um, no matter where you are on the, on the political spectrum, it's uh, kind of hard to uh, to make an argument against preventing uh, suicide. Now, the I think in... Um in comparison to a lot of you, you hear a name like the Trevor Project, and and you know it's like when you hear these kinds of names of whether it's foundations or laws, you kind of picture that there's a specific person this one uh, that the organization is named after. Uh, Trevor Project's got an interesting backstory of its name. Can you kind of talk us through that? Yeah, in the uh, I think it was '94 or so, uh, there was a short film. I think it's 23 minutes long, called Trevor. Uh, and it was about a, uh, young boy, I guess he was 13 or 14 years old. The film was set in 1981. So you have to remember politically, um, what it must've been like to realize that you were gay in 1981. And I'm going to just put my own chips on the table and say, I personally do remember what it was like, what that realization was like. Trevor speaks to me quite personally in full disclosure, um, and uh, unfortunately, the character Trevor decided that the best way to deal with that was to kill himself. And uh, he failed, fortunately, and woke up in the hospital after overdosing on pills and uh, was befriended by a young male nurse in the hospital uh, who became his friend. And who knows if it went further than that, the film ended there, but it supplied a happy ending for a film that I just kept wondering as I watched it, how are they going to pull out of this dive? But incredibly, they did. The film actually went on to win an Oscar. And uh, then HBO picked it up and they aired it in 1998 with uh, no less a figure than Ellen DeGeneres hosting. And what happened was right before the uh, airing, the director of the film and the producer of the film realized that, hold on, as soon as we air this, a lot of would-be gay kids, questioning kids, bisexual kids, whatever, uh, might want to reach out for some help. There must be an 800 number that we can put up on the screen. And they found out much to their horror that there wasn't one. And so the Trevor Project was called together very, very cobbled, sorry, together very quickly. And they actually had an 800 number up uh, on at the end of that HBO airing. And that was the birth of the Trevor Project. And they've been around ever since. That's so wild. You know, it's like you hear it and you just assume, oh, there was a real a real person. But I still love that because it's still a very human and very real uh, evolution. And I love the responsibility kind of baked into that thinking, right, of, hey, if we're going to put this out there, we need to have resources available. Um, but it's it's grown pretty precipitously since then. I mean, there are obviously quite a few uh, LGBTQ organizations uh, that that many of us have heard about. But what was it specifically about Trevor Project that really jumped out to to our kind of panel of selection jury uh, for uh, Brand Save? Well, I mean, you could argue that most any nonprofit is probably engaged in some kind of meaningful work. 
You could probably say that about uh, any LGBTQ plus nonprofit that that you could select. Uh, but let me throw a statistic or two at you. Um, every 45 seconds in this country, uh, an LGBTQ plus young person, I mean, between age 13 and 24, attempts suicide, which means there have been several of them attempted since the start of this podcast. Um, and according to a study that I found in the Journal of the American Medical Association, um, 40%, think about that, nearly half of LGBTQ plus high school students have seriously considered suicide. And overall, they're nearly four times more likely to attempt it. So when you consider that Trevor is obviously not the only organization that addresses itself to the needs of LGBT young people, but that they are dedicated toward addressing, not just preventing suicide, it's important to talk about this, they also um, have the resources or access to the resources to get young people out of crisis situations as well. So it's not just a pep talk on the phone and then they hang up. They really, you know, they really do a kind of uh, a full process depending on the, 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 the person's need. They also do, I, this, these numbers blow me away. Um, 150,000 crisis contacts, as they call it. And by that, I mean a, a phone call, a text, a chat, whatever form it takes. Um, 150,000 of them were handled last year. And that's, I mean, that number alone is, is staggering. Half of those calls were from kids under 18. A third of them were from people of color. And uh, Trevor has close to 800 volunteers that are uh, there around the clock. And, um, you know, if, if somebody is in crisis at two o'clock in the morning in Topeka and sends a text, they will get an answer right away. So I, I don't know how else to make a case for how important that work is. Yeah, that's really phenomenal. And, and it feels like we're in such a it can, it can be a very heavy reality of how much uh, how, how more much more aware we are right now of the extent of this like i don't think it's i don't think it's not like it's a new trend right it's this the most the, the most depressing part of these kinds of of stats and stories is the fact that it's always been this bad right yeah david you raised such an important point um when i was uh uh hard to imagine this but i was once a teenager um and uh when i was dealing with coming out there obviously was no such thing as trevor what there was was uh, Ronald Reagan in the White House, uh, the rise of the super neoconservative movement um, and uh, and this thing called HIV, which had no treatment. So that was a really serious crisis time. And when I was talking to Amit Paley for this feature story and Amit heads up the um, the Trevor Project, um, I, I asked him about, you know, is it easier to come out these days than it than it was? And in theory, it is right, because we we do have ostensibly a more accepting society. But yet that's only statistically speaking. If you're in a certain part of the country, that may be true, not true. If you're in a certain type of household, that may not be true. And as you were alluding to, David, politically speaking, um, this is a really, really polarized time in this country. And the kind of intolerant or even hate-filled rhetoric that we 
we've heard quite a bit of in recent years, that trickles down um, to LGBTQ kids as well. They hear it and it affects them. Uh, Amit told me that in the 24-hour period after the 2016 presidential election, their call volume doubled. And I'll just let that mean what it means. Shannon, I, I feel like we're maybe, I don't know, you can tell me if you think this is fair or not. I, I credit TikTok a lot with opening up some of these conversations of like, obviously, several years ago, we had the It Gets Better movement, which was was great and uplifting. But I think it also kind of, not to diminish the folks who took part in that, but it kind of skipped past the part of it does get better, but that doesn't make it less hard right now. Exactly. You know, for, for folks going through it. And I feel like TikTok, I was telling, uh, you know, a good friend the other day that I wish TikTok had been around when I was in high school going into college because I feel like it's made me a much more uh, empathetic person. It's exposed me to so many more uh, life experiences and of what people go through at various, you know, I've obviously known a lot of folks who've come out uh, over the years. I have people incredibly close to me who've gone through that process, but to really see that unfiltered perspective. And I feel like one thing I've seen a lot more on TikTok of is people just being being honest about how incredibly difficult it is going through this process, especially when your parents don't support you, when your family is not there for you. And TikTok for some folks has become a place to find that community. I don't, know, I don't know if I'm maybe crediting TikTok too much, but I do feel like those conversations are happening much more now. I think there's a lot of merit to that. Um, I think just the, well, first of all, social media in general has made these conversations a lot more accessible um, worldwide. And just as of recently, TikTok, because of sort of its shareability and um, how it kind of dominates multiple platforms at this point, we're seeing those conversations a lot more robustly than when I was growing up. Um, but I mean, even before TikTok, there was um, Twitter. And even before Twitter, there was MySpace, where a lot of those honest conversations were happening as well. Um, but yeah, TikTok is definitely... Um, had a major part in sort of spreading that conversation a little bit more widely. I think another thing that we can credit um, is just pop culture in general and how it's sort of shifting to give a platform to rising um, queer stars. I mean, we talk a lot about Lil Nas X, um, but him, just his presence and his existence, I think, is giving a lot of credence, um, not just to um, the stories of um, queer youth, but queer Black youth, queer youth of color. Um, and I think that has should have a lot of credit as well. I, I In terms of like the Trevor Project itself, I think it has really interesting pop culture roots that I think sort of planted a seed, at least when I was growing up, of having those conversations more openly. Um, just hearing the origin story of Trevor Project is so, re is so um, interesting because I think for a lot of folks in my generation, we didn't hear about it mu until much later um, with the rise, oddly, of um, Harry Potter because uh, Daniel Radcliffe's involvement, I think, sort of thrusted the Trevor Project in a much more, um, in a much brighter light, at least for us. Um, and I remember just around that time, um, people sort of getting a little bit more comfortable sharing their experiences and and uh, taking uh, those conversations worldwide. So 
um, yeah, the TikTok is definitely uh, responsible for a good portion of today's youth having those conversations or feeling comfortable having those conversations. But there are definitely different touchstones even before that where people just started to feel more comfortable, I think. Hey, Shannon, can I add something to that? Because this is such an important yeah. wrinkle. Um, for this feature, I called up a, an, an incredible uh, woman named Jane Clemente. She is the mother of Tyler Clemente. And some of you might remember uh, a little over 10 years ago now, uh, Tyler Clemente was the Rutgers student who um, his roommate secretly recorded him having an encounter with another boy in his dorm room and then put it online. And uh, Tyler was uh, basically uh, raked over the coals on Twitter and he went to the George Washington Bridge and he jumped off. Uh, so his mother started a foundation, the Tyler Clemente Foundation, and I called her to ask her what she thought of the Trevor Project. And after we finished that part of the conversation, we got talking about this social media stuff that, that we are all talking about now. And she raised such an important point, which is that it's kind of a double-edged sword because if young queer people can get on, I'll use Instagram because I'm most, most familiar with that, right? Or TikTok, I guess. But they get on these platforms and they see on the positive side, they say, wow, there's a lot of people like me, right? There's people who look like me. There's people who have my proclivities or, or you know, in any sense of that. It's not just sexual orientation. The difficulty is if you are a young queer person who's living in a super conservative household that has no support for you or even open hostility for you, sometimes to look at social media platforms and see other young people who are enjoying really accepting environments mm -hmm. with a lot of friends and accepting families, that can be simply torturous, right. uh, you know, for, for, you know, almost like the way I would look at somebody my age who's a successful entrepreneur and is driving a sports car I wish I owned, right? bad analogy because I don't need a sports car, but we all need acceptance, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I think social media has been really great in terms of providing a community. Um, and Trevor Project has that too. It's called Trevor Space. And it's like, a, it's like their own little network, right? Their own little online club. And that stuff is incredibly important. But, mm -hmm. but Jane Clemente opened my eyes as I, I, I realized this, but I hadn't really articulated it before that it can be really, really hard for young LGBTQ kids to look at other kids that are, you know, enjoying the things that they wish they had. And it, it can also, it can make them feel more cut off and more alienated. And hence the importance of what Trevor is doing. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I think something that's been absolutely weighing on my heart lately is school, school's obviously back in. And this is one of those things, it's hard to tell to, to something we were talking about a minute ago, has it always been like this? The answer is probably yes. Um, and is social media and cell phone video just making it more common to see examples of uh, homophobic violence in, in schools and attacks against kids? There was a video that went uh, viral uh, of a, a kid, you know, at a, I believe an Arkansas school. Uh, who was bet five dollars to go rip a pride flag off a kid's shoulders uh, at lunch, 
and he ripped ripped it off him and threw it in a trash can and kind of threw him on the floor in the process. And other kids are just laughing at him. And, yeah. you know, you can tell this is kind of I, I live in Alabama. This is happening at a school near me. And there's been a pretty active protest effort to get the administrators. Uh, I will say that there are several schools in my in my region, the, you know, kind of progressive suburb uh, kind of area that are great about these issues. And then there are schools that are not. And we're having this exact issue happen. And so part of me is like, well, I mean, I'm glad we have these videos. Uh, I uh, They boil my blood to watch them. But it's been happening. Kids have been living with this forever. Mm-hmm. And now we're just finally able to document it. And that kid who I say kid, he was probably like, I mean, he looked like a full grown adult. Mm-hmm. Um, he was arrested, you know, and he was arrested because of that tweet. He was not arrested because a vice principal called the police. Mm-hmm. And so I know that's a bit off topic, but it's just one of those things of like, I think all of us know the double-edged, uh, well, I don't know if double-edged sword is the right metaphor, but you know, the two-way street of, of social media, that it can both be a terrible place in the sense that it can expose you to even more uh, hateful content uh, than you would have before, but also it can give you an outlet into the wider world where, uh, it, you know, there's... There's accountability even when the people around you <laughs> don't, and, don't want to express accountability. Yeah. Social media gives a platform to everything, unfortunately. Um, so there, there's like no filtration process there where it's like we can block out this conversation and, and not the other. I think like the only saving grace is now I think that with um, the help of organizations like the Trevor Project paired with like these social media like vigilantes um and gen z who now see these tiktoks and instead of saying oh that's terrible they're saying like well how are we what are we doing to fix this like the the amount of mobilization that i've seen just via tiktok alone now it's it's like there's that small like bit of comfort where i'm like okay, we're going to give this about 48 hours because this person's either going to get fired or arrested. There's no way that it's going to just stay within this little section of the internet. Um, I I think that that's sort of helping things a little bit and pushing the needle on actual progress. It's just that thing of like, we've now dealt with administrations and the powers that be that do nothing. So now it's going to have to be up to us to raise some hell a little bit. Um, Now the, I think things like, the Trevor Project are going to be key in keeping um, in sort of facilitating these safe spaces alongside um, like these sort of acts of justice. Um, but yeah, the the social media aspects are such like a weird Rubik's cube of good and awful. there was a there was a tweet like Lil Nas X obviously tweets a lot of really fascinating stuff and and a lot of his attention grabbing he had one that has stuck with me in a way that it is like now embedded in my you know in my soul which is kind of funny because it was not to say it was a throwaway tweet but it was something where um he someone some troll some critic you know responded to him on Twitter and said uh, you're obviously insecure in your sexuality, and that's why you have to keep making these I- extremely, uh, you know, sexual. I mean, they were talking obviously about the Mont- Montero video, and like, um, and that's why you have to be so hypersexual because you're so insecure about your sexuality. And he he shared the tweet, which I love about Lil Nas X, right? That he like shares his haters, and then he said, "Yes, 
I am. I am tremendously insecure. <laughs> I had to hide it for so much of my life. Mm-hmm. I've had such incredible, uh, you know, guilt and torment inflicted on me by the world. And so I am 100% insecure about my sexuality and I'm trying to work it out and I'm doing it all in public. And I just, ah, oh, mm-hmm. like what a great post and what that must have meant to young people seeing him share that. Oh, like I'm getting like really emotional now even thinking about that. But like, so yeah, to the point, I know we're kind of veering a little bit, but I do think we're at this really wonderful and in sense sometimes awful <laughs> moment, <laughs> but the, this this moment of of real transparency and to, and I think Robert brings up a great point that that doesn't make it easy to to see that there is good and tolerance and love in the world, but not for you, uh, not yeah. not in your daily life is a prison I can't imagine having to live in, and I'm so thankful. No, no, sorry. Now I'm getting really emotional. I'm so thankful for organizations like this for being there uh, for young people in a way that that everyone from Robert's generation on, you know, prior should have should have always had these resources. Um, yeah, I, I think that this comes at a really key time um, for us to be able to, like, honor the Trevor Project and all the work that it's done for um, decades. Like, I wish I had kind of, like, come to grips with my own queerness when I was first learning about the Trevor Project, I think that could have really helped a lot of things in just like my own journey. But like, especially with the past year, seeing like some major pop culture figures, um, you know, say some really ugly things about LGBTQ plus communities and having to endure that um, over and over again and having people like Lil Nas X and the Trevor Project and, you know, the the entire cast of Harry Potter, unfortunately, having to rise against these, like, awful, like, pop culture paragons that are just peddling this ugly hate. It's so nice that we at least are having this opportunity to honor this project that has been fighting the fight for now, decades now. Um, so I, I think that this, particular issue um, comes at such a crucial time and it's just nice um, to like have someone as knowledgeable and thorough as Rob Clara being able to dig into stuff like this for our readers and parcel out why it's so important to continue to give resources and and offer resources to projects like these. Um, So yeah, and I, I'm still learning things about the Trevor. I didn't realize how, um, deeply woven brands were in into this particular um, effort. So I'm hoping that this issue will sort of bring that to light for more people and will encourage other brands to sort of step into the fight and really take a stance against all of it. it you, is- want me to say, you want me to say something happy that'll dig us out of our maudlin mood that we're in? <laughs> sure. sure. So, no, I'm really serious. Uh, and by the way, I think we need to reflect on the 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 difficulty and the negativity. And I I, I don't mean to be flip about that, um, but I just uh, something clicked in my head, Shannon. And as, well, as both of you were talking, um, I found some research. Actually, I was guided to this research from San Francisco State University. Uh, I don't know. It's a few years old, but it's not really old. It's recent. And it found that LGBTQ plus youth who find the support of just one trusted adult. That could be a parent, 
It could be any adult, right? Uh, the risk of that person ending their life or harming himself or herself is cut in half, right? Mm. And so, you know, we, we, I know I hear myself and, and others in my community talking about this great day where, you know, we can be totally out and, you know, kids can come out and everything is going to be fine. I don't know. I know I'm not going to live to see that day. I don't know how far off it, it may be. But I do find it encouraging that it doesn't take an incredible miracle for a young queer kid to feel safe. It takes like mm. one person, you know, mm. one adult. And the Trevor Project can supply that voice at the most critical time. And then, yeah, like, uh, you know, in regard to It Gets Better, which I, I thought that was a great movement. Uh, but I, I had similar qualms as, as both of you did, like, oh, it, it might get better. When is it going to get better? Can you wait yeah, when? five years for it to get better? <laughs> right. Can you <laughs> afford for it to get better? Like, there was a lot of questions that raised for me. But in the interim, one adult who who says, you know what, I know I know who you are and it's cool. Right. Can make all the difference and good grief. How hard is that? Right. Mm hmm. I mean, yeah, that's my one my one request. I think all of us, you may not have an LGBTQ child for you to personally support on a day-to-day basis, but there are LGBTQ plus kids in your life. You know, you, if you're an aunt and uncle, if you're, uh, you know, you have family, friends. I think a lot of us fall into the uh, the trap of assuming that kids are fully embraced these days, right? And that, that it is fine. Oh, cool. You know, it's like I have... So many, uh, you know, so many kids in my family who've come out in the last few years. And yeah, part of me just kind of assumes like, yeah, that must be a lot easier now. Good for them. But I, I rarely bring it up with them because it still feels kind of personal. I think it's worth taking that time to just say, hey, that's really cool. I bet that was really a difficult thing to, you know, to, to say out loud, but I'm really proud of you. Um, yeah, you know, it's worth taking the time to do it. Um, so... Uh, well, I'm, and I'm proud of both of you. You're both such wonderful voices, oh, and uh, I'm honored. Oh, honored to thanks, Reiner. So. <laughs> thanks, Dad. Yeah. So, um, on that note, uh, and uh, we, you know, we could talk all about uh, our many other brand geniuses. We've got another whole issue set aside for that on the commercial side. This week's issue is dedicated to Trevor Project. So check that out. Check out Robert's wonderful profile of them. Uh, check out our Brand Week event, which is going to. I'm I'm going to be there. Uh, I'm, Shannon, are you uh, are you t- speaking at Brand Week at all? Um, I yes, I am moderating a panel with MasterCards, Roger Roger Manor. So um yeah, the brand genius. Yes. So I am quite excited about that. Nice. And uh, I will be talking to the uh the head of marketing who for Goldfish and other Campbell snacks about how the especially how the quarantine era has made people weirdly excited for like strange uh not not say strange, but, you know, innovative products. Like Jinko <laughs> so, jeans, maybe? Yeah, like, <laughs> like like Goldfish jalapeno popper goldfish Jinko jean <laughs> partnerships, which we will be talking about. Good. Um so, uh, so yes, check out Brand Week uh, if you are if you work in brand marketing. Uh, that's a it's a great conference. Uh, Robert, thanks so much for being here. It is always a pleasure to have you. Two episodes in a row, just the dream, and we're living it. So, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, David. It's a pleasure. And Shannon, great to talk to you again. Always good to talk to you. Come back anytime you want to. Well, I'm only a slack away. <laughs>
All right. Thank you all. We are out of time, but our theme music is by home. This week's episode was produced by Nick Gardner and edited by Lane McGibney. If you haven't already, and I know I say this every week, but please do it. Please. It makes us so happy if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, They mean a lot to us. You can leave a rating, but we love seeing your actual reviews, what you like about the show, where you'd like to see us change and do more. We'll be talking about that more soon because I'd love to get your feedback on how to make the show even better and more interesting for you. Uh, So please leave us those reviews. You can reach us anytime at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we'll be back next week.